The first lesson comes from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of the Lord. As we continue digging into God's word together today and consider what this text means for us now in chapter 10, and we move uh, on from what we heard last week in chapter 9 about God's heart for us, his, his motivation, his motivation to give us this gift of grace that we've been hearing so clearly throughout the book of Romans. Now in chapter 10, he begins to unpack that further and what it means and who does it and how does it get completed. And I came across a story that might help us kind of capture a little bit of the image of what that feels like among us. And it, it's from Mike Iaconelli's book, Dangerous Wonder, of which I've shared a few stories from. And this one's about a turtle. Now, not a little tiny turtle that uh, you have an aquarium, but I'm talking a loggerhead turtle about 300 pounds. Now, this turtle uh, came ashore one day to lay her eggs in a bystander was watching nearby and decided to exit the area to not interfere, and then came back the next day curious on the beach, where did this turtle end up laying her eggs, only to be surprised when she saw that this uh, giant turtle's tracks went off in the direction of the hot sand dunes. So curious, she continued to follow, and as she followed, she soon discovered her fear. This turtle had gotten itself in a bad position, dried out on these high, sun-soaked dunes. So she, quick thinking, grabbed some wet seaweed from the shore and brought it back to this turtle and covered it to give it some life called the park ranger, and kind of to her shock and uh, horror, but also amazement, this park ranger, seeming maybe like he'd done this before, uh, 
came in a, a vehicle, attached a rope to the turtle, flipped it upside down, and then quickly tore off towards the shoreline, dragging this poor turtle flying back behind them until she was drug right into the surf. And that surf began to invigorate her again. Soon enough, it seemed as though she'd come back to life and turned herself right over. And I share this image with you today for this one reason. When we come to the gospel, when we come to, in particular, the message of the gospel that we hear in Romans, it sometimes flips us upside down. Sometimes it feels out of control because we realize we're not in control. God is. And maybe even sometimes following Jesus in His control instead of our own causes us to have a little terror, as Iaconelli would write about. But what God does is what that ranger did after having been brought to the needs of this turtle. He brings us to the waters of baptism that we'll celebrate today as or as Ephesians 5 puts it, where the Word soaks us. The water of the Word saturates us. It gives us new life. But what hangs most people up, as one commentator put about in this chapter, the righteousness of faith as opposed to the righteousness that we assume comes from the law. We think, okay, yeah, I know it's a free gift, but now it's uh, about the law, right? Now that I've got that gift. But what we discover in this text, and it's an interesting chapter because the Apostle Paul, who quotes the Old Testament throughout the work that he does in our New Testament as God speaks through him, He frequently quotes the Old Testament, but did you know a third of his Old Testament quotes of all of them are right here in chapter 10? A good third. He wants us to know that something new is taking place. Something is being completed. In chapter 10, verse 4, right before the reading we heard today, he lets us know, gives us a clue about what we just heard. Because he uses this word telos, which is in Greek the word for end. And this word telos, much like the English word end, also can be seen as a goal, your finish line. It's not just the end of something, it's the place in which you seek. And what the Apostle Paul wants us to hear and know is that the end had once been, the goal had once been the law. But the law was never the end. Christ is. Martin Kemitz, the famous and well-known 16th century Lutheran theologian, put it like this to help us get over our hang-up. If we compare Paul's statement with the dictum of Moses from Deuteronomy 30, which 
is part of what the apostle is referencing here. The matter will even be clear. In the law, there were, he points out, three points. One, to teach it. Two, to hear and understand it. And three, and this is the part that's killer, to obey it. Now, relatively speaking, parts one and two are easy. But it's that third part, obeying, that we just keep falling short of. And so Jesus comes and completes what we cannot. He completes and fulfills the law in a way that none of us can. In our weakened, upside-down state, drug across the uh, beach, He brings us. By His very presence, He saturates us with His Word. And as if to say, hey, this is the point I want you to hear. Don't miss this in verses 9 and 10. He uses a little poetry, a little acrostic in Greek to make sure that we don't miss it. Remember when Pastor Carroll said, this is the really important part in the sermon? Right? That's what the Apostle Paul is doing right here in verses 9 and 10 with this acrostic. He says, point A, B, and C, in case you missed it, B, A, and C. He's using a poetic license as he tells us to confess that Jesus is Lord, that believe that God raised him from the dead, and then know then we shall be saved. But using that poetry, then he uses it again, right? To believe, to confess and then to be saved. This becomes the centerpiece of the chapter. He wants us to know and listen to these important truths that we are receiving here. That we're called to confess and believe. First, that Jesus is Lord. There's another interesting Greek word there with our new goal. Having heard it, confess, believe, save. Believe, confess, save. He now lets us know that what we're confessing and believing in this new end, this new goal, is something important. And that's in the Lord Jesus. The Lord there, for that word Lord, Adonai in Greek, is the same word that would point us back to another Hebrew word, one that by this time the Jews would not say aloud. But it's pointing to Yahweh. The Apostle Paul is letting us know that Jesus is none other than the one true God, the great I Am, Yahweh. That's who we are to believe in. And this Jesus, who is Lord, Yahweh, was risen from the dead by the same, as we heard in chapter 8, the same Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who's in you and me. So how do we believe? How do we confess we do it by being soaked in the Word? Even our ability to believe and confess are by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's a gift in and of itself. Of course, God graciously allows us the revelation of his truth to be seen in so many different places throughout the world. And what I mean by that is he gives us evidence. I'll talk more about this on Easter Sunday. From archaeological evidence to textual evidence to the, to the reliability of the scriptures and even to eyewitness accounts, ones that really speak to me. One author put it like this, that Jesus' followers reported seeing the resurrection, resurrected Christ three days after his crucifixion. So we have eyewitnesses. He showed them willingly his wounds. His followers believed that the resurrection was a loud amen to that this is Yahweh, this is the Messiah. They adopted and continued following Jesus, even though it would lead to their own persecution. Their faith was grounded in the revelation of what God had done. And so we are called to believe in the Lord Jesus, this Yahweh, this Lord, because we have a new end. It's no longer the law, a new goal. It's Jesus. Soaked in the word, he reveals that to us and gifts it to us. And sometimes that soaking can be hard. Sometimes that soaking, like that turtle, quickly, surprisingly maybe even, unexpectedly gives us new life. And it also gives us a calling. We call that a vocation. From the dry and weary land, as we heard in Psalm 63, we now have our thirst quenched by this word. And it gives us a calling to be the one who goes after those who are up on the high ground in the, in the burning sun. And to bring them to the waters of new life, to the waters of Christ's word. Martin Luther says about this in Romans 10, he says, isn't it surprising that the entire source and origin of our salvation rests on this, that God sends someone. Let me say that again, that the entire source and origin of our salvation rests on this. That God sends someone. And God, who sent his son, is now sending you. He's sending me to lead others and bring others to this soaking, to these waters, to this word, to confess and believe that we are saved, and then preach it, maybe not from a pulpit, but maybe in your home, or with your friends, or wherever God has you planted. The entire source and origin of salvation rests on this, that God sends someone. He sends you, and He sends me to confess and believe upon the Lord Jesus, who graciously turned us upside down 
It gives us new life. Amen.